0: Welcome to the New Harvest Podcast. You are listening to part six of the 1st John sermon series. Today's sermon is called, Cain to Christ. And the scripture reading comes from the book of 1st John chapter three, verses 11 through 18. The Bible says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth.
1: You hate it, right? When your parents used to compare you to other kids when you were younger. Like I, I remember my father, my dad did that a lot to me. Like, um, so, you know, when I was a kid, my dad, uh, like all other Korean dads, read the Korean newspaper, right? Remember? the newspaper, and so one time anyway, there was this story about this uh, poor immigrant boy in the newspaper, uh, how he got into Harvard. And then so it was one of those really gritty, inspirational stories, like those uh, pull yourself up by your bootstrap type of story, right? So he would go to school, and then he would come home, and because his parents were poor, his family was poor, he would go work at the local 7-Eleven every, you know, every afternoon, all the way till night shift. And then at night, after he had you know worked, he would study all night by candlelight until he had like a nosebleed. And I remember my dad just sitting there telling me the story and like, ah, did you see this boy? Like, you know? And he was sitting there just kind of quietly, implicitly throwing shade at me. Like, why can't you work like that? You know, why can't you get straight A's? You don't even go to work. Just stay at home, do nothing. Right? Like have you ever studied so much that you got a nosebleed? And I was thinking, you know, to my head, like, hey, do you want a nosebleed? Right. I didn't actually say it to him, but I was like, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, mothers always also compare, right? Right. Don't do this, don't do that. Like everything is either going to kill you or give you cancer. Right? Whatever you do, if you go out, play outside it could kill you. If you're not careful skateboarding, if you're not careful at the beach, if you're not careful, you know, everything can kill, mosquitoes can kill you. Everything is deadly. And you know, parents always, you know, mothers especially always talk about the worst case scenario, right? I heard, you know, so-and-so overdose, or he dropped out of school because he was playing too much video games. I heard this other guy, he got in a car accident because of, you know, he was drunk driving. And if you go over there, Uh, You can get shot over there at this neighborhood, or you can get kidnapped if you go hiking, right? All these kind of things. And they always think about, right, what's the worst thing. And and our parents kind of still compare us, right, with other people today. you know, I heard so and so already graduated. He has a job. He's married, or this person is working at this big company, and they already have like three kids. I want some grandkids. What are you gonna do, right? Like they like to compare. And in our passage today, John compares us to very two very different people, right? He said he compares us to Cain, and he compares us to Jesus Christ, right? And so like. Every overly dramatic mother, John says to us, do not be like Cain, right? Don't be a murderer, right? And then like a overly demanding father, he tells us to lay down our lives for others, like Jesus Christ. And they both seem, right, uh, impossible and irrelevant comparisons, right? Because one comparison is like impossibly low, and the other one is impossibly high. Because there is no way, right, we think to ourselves, I I can actually become a monster like Cain. And it's equally impossible or unlikely that I could be some perfect, humble, and selfless human being like Jesus Christ. I'm probably never going to murder my brother, right? And I'm probably never going to lay down my life for other people as well, right? I'm going to be probably somewhere in the middle, right? So there's no need to compare me to Cain. There's no need to compare me to Jesus or these other people because these are both equally impossible and unrealistic scenarios in my mind, right? I'm just going to be a normal person. So why do we have to talk about it, right? Why do we have to talk about, why do you have to compare me to Cain? Why do you have to compare me to Christ? There was once a man, he just got converted, he got recently saved, and so he decided to read the Gospels right after he got saved. And then uh, he he said to me, You know, I've been reading Matthew, right? And in Matthew, there's a part where Jesus tells us to love our enemies and stuff like that. I was like, Yeah, okay. And he goes, You know what? That's so crazy. You know, I've been thinking about what he said, I've been thinking about what Jesus said, and it's so crazy. And his his conclusion was there is no way Jesus expects us to actually do that. It's way too hard. Like, Who could actually love their enemies? No one can do that. It's impossible. And I believe a lot of Christians have that same type of attitude. We kind of dismiss certain things about the Bible or certain commands because we're like, that's too hard. That's impossible. There's no way that Jesus can actually expect us to to live out those things, but I want to just remind you, right? If it's a, if his salvation applies to you, then his commands apply to you. If his grace applies to you, then his righteousness applies to you. If you die in him, you will live in him. We cannot just say, okay, these things are impossible. These things seem too hard, um, so I'm not gonna you know pay attention to those things. I'm not gonna apply those things into my life. Right? And I think if we look very carefully, we will see right, that these are not impossible comparisons. These are not irrelevant comparisons. But they are much more relevant and applicable to us than we want to admit. So we're going to look at what he says. Okay? He says in verse 12, we're going to look at that. It says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Right? He says, Do not be like Cain. And what does he mean by that? Right, so I don't think John is just saying, hey, murder is bad. Or I don't think John is worried about the murder rate in his church going up or you know, members killing each other like in Rwanda. Right? He's not writing to criminals or gangsters or people who are gonna, you know, do these kind of things. He's not writing you know. You know, to like scare straight or something. He's talking to normal people, decent people, good people, right? And then I think it would be very easy to label Cain as like, Oh, he's just a murderer. He's just a psycho. He's just crazy. He's just a, you know, criminal. And dismiss his actions as the actions of a crazy person, right? Because that's what we do, right? We use labels. To dismiss people, right? Uh, you know, hate is in the air right now. It's a election time, right? And that's what we use labels for: these crazy Democrats or crazy Republicans, crazy liberals, crazy this and that. And we and then we label them with these things, and we say, "Oh, that's why they're so crazy. That's why they're so hateful and ignorant." Right? Oh, I can't stand those, you know, stupid. Blah, 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 right? And so we sit there hating on them and saying that we're not hateful. So in the same way, uh, we can say, hey, Cain was just a evil, messed up, deranged murderer, and I'm nothing like Cain, and so this doesn't apply to me. But I think John says, do not be like Cain, because we can be like Cain. And in many ways, we probably have a lot more in common with Cain than we realize, you know then what we want to actually admit so we have to ask what was Cain like you know do not be like Cain so what was Cain like so the first thing that i see here as we're looking at this verse murder did not make Cain evil evil made Cain murder so i'm going to try to explain what that means so most people believe that our sins are what makes us evil right like our deeds, the i the final outer deeds and words that we say, that's what makes us an evil person, right? Like, so somebody can say, hey, stay away from that guy. He's a bad person. And you you will ask, hey, how do you know he's a bad person? And they'll say, oh, they'll point to his sins, right? Like, oh, he cheated on his wife. He stole cars. Or he murdered someone. Like, the, these things, these tangible, visible things are what makes someone evil, but if you look at the passage and you look at Cain, you realize that's not what really makes someone evil. Right? The verse says, why did he murder him? It says, because his actions were evil. Right? Like, so he's saying, it's not the murder that actually made him evil. He murdered because he was already evil. Right? So John is not actually talking about the act of murder. He's saying that the actions, the things that happened before the murder... Is actually what made Cain evil, right? And so we have to look at that. What, what actually, what, what did Cain do to become this evil person? So when Cain was rejected by God in Genesis, right? Cain was angry. He was his. The Bible says his face was downcast. And so God approaches him and warns him like this in Genesis four seven. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching. At your door, it desires to have you, but you must master it. Right? God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Right. So at this point, right, sin had not entered into Cain's heart yet. Yes, he was being tempted by these evil desires of jealousy and rage or anger. So sin was knocking on the door. Sin wanted to come in, but it wasn't in there yet. Sin desired to have him. But he had not had him yet right? and so this is I think a, a good reminder it is not a sin to be tempted by sin right? being tempted by sin does not make you evil our Lord Jesus Christ was also tempted by sin, was tempted by the devil himself for 40 days but no one will say well that makes him unholy so that's you know just like a little side note if you're being tempted by sin that doesn't make you unholy or sinful it just means you're tempted by sin. But then what happens? Cain unwittingly opens the door and lets sin in. Right? He gives anger a one place to sleep. He tells jealousy, hey, come make yourself at home. Hate becomes his new roommate, his best friend. Right? And so he entertains these thoughts and these feelings day and night. Right? How many times do you think Cain killed Abel in his heart? How many times do you think he cursed and hated Abel in his heart? You know, while he was smiling outwardly, right? Praising him publicly, sitting beside him at like family dinners or at church or at the synagogue while they're praising God. Right? Right? How many times do you think? He must have dreamed about it, fantasized about it, planned it out in his head over and over again, until it didn't actually sound so absurd, until it actually didn't look so bad, until sin had mastered him, until sin had now ruled over him, right? And so now he just says, okay, you know, it's not that bad. You know, there, there's, there's, there's good reasons probably his mind, he's saying, There's good reasons why I need to do this. This will make my life better, but I can't do it here. I have to go to find a quiet place where I won't get caught, where we can be alone. Hey Abel, let's go out into the field. I just come here, man. Let's go. Alright. Just be a, just a second. Right? And so now at this point, right. He has already become evil. Murder is just the icing on the cake. Cain had already been totally consumed with hatred, even before he sheds a drop of blood. The act of sin is like the the, the tip of the iceberg. And the real bulk of our sin, the real source of our sin, is hidden below the surface, below our smiles, below our words, below our well-crafted images. Right? And, and so you realize The sin is like a movie and What I mean is this How long does it take To make a 90 minute movie right? It doesn't take 90 minutes right? It takes months Maybe even years To actually finish a movie Because you have to get the script You have to find the location Find the cast Find the director Find the producers Find all these things Set them all up And then you have to shoot the movie Right? Hundreds of hours of film multiple takes from multiple angles, alternate endings, and all this kind of stuff. And then you have to sit down with the editors and actually edit the film, put in music, do this and do that, sound effects. And then we only see the finished product. We don't see the countless hours and the money and the effort that went into making it. So oftentimes, we only see the finished product of our sin. Right, that flash of anger that just comes up out of nowhere, that sudden burst of jealousy or lust, you're like, where did that come from? I'm not like that. Right? Those times when you say, Oh, I just acted out of character. That's not me. Right? But where did that come from then, right? You know, one person cuts you off and that little poke right, makes you erupt into anger and they erupt into curses. Where was all that hiding? I believe that this is why Jesus says, anyone who hates a brother is guilty of murder. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully is already committed adultery. The man who calls his brother a fool is in danger of the fires of hell. How many times do you think Cain must have called Abel a fool with all these different names in his heart? So the act is nothing without the intent. Right? It's not murder if a soldier kills the enemy. It's not murder if you know someone does it out of self-defense, or if a doctor is trying to save someone's life, and the and the and the you know the, the the surgery doesn't go well. It's the intent, the motives of a person, that truly makes an act evil. Right. And and so I was just sitting here thinking about it. A lot of times we think that we're not sinful, for it because we don't overtly, outwardly commit sins, right? For everyone to see. But I wonder: is sin crouching at your door? Has sin already kind of come in? Now it's in the living room. Now it's in the bedroom. Now it's in you know the kitchen. Right? Has sin taken up? Residence in your heart? Is it actually ruling over you? Although other people may not see it that way. Has jealousy and lust and greed and pride and anger have they firmly taken up root in you? And so I think that's one thing we can learn from Cain. It's not the action, it's not that you know. That brief moment where he actually murdered someone that made him evil. It's all those countless hours of thinking about it, fantasizing about it, loving it, delighting it, indulging in it, right? That made him evil. And that's what we do a lot of times. We indulge in these kind of evil thoughts, dark thoughts about other people, right? About this about the, about the person that cut us off, about the person that disrespected us, about the co-worker. That, that said things about us and made us feel smaller, about, you know, like we sit there and then we, you know, we enjoy those things, we entertain those thoughts. And you have to think about what actually, what you know, so outwardly no one can see it, but what's actually, what do you think your soul looks like? If you could see your soul. right? And then it says, why did Cain murder Abel, right? Now, a lot of times we think we have a good reason for doing something bad, right? And every time me and my brother used to get into arguments or fights, my brother would say, Hey, my brother hit me. And then my mom would always ask, Well, what did you do, <laughs> right? Well, she would always ask my brother, What did you do? Like, did you do something to deserve it, right? And so Kane probably had like those explanations or excuses of why. Abel would deserve it, right? Because he's like, my life is so unfair. I have to work so much harder than him. right? He, he has it easy. And it's not even that I care that he has more money than me. I don't really care that he's more blessed than me. I just can't stand his attitude. Like, he always talks down. He's a younger brother, but he always talks down to me with this and that, you know? And everyone looks at me like I'm like the, the black sheep of the family, right? He had all this kind of, you know, self-consciousness about him. This is like bad self-image. And he's like, you know, those were his reasons for why Abel deserved to be hated while Abel deserved to be murdered. And so the same question for us is why do we hate? Why do we argue with our siblings? Why are we jealous of our coworkers or friends? And we always think that we have a right, right? We have a right to be mad. We have a right to hold the grudge. We have a right to not forgive because he lied to me because she didn't respect me, because he betrayed my trust, right? because he's just a selfish jerk. Nobody deserves to be treated that way. Right? But is that really true? And, and John gets straight to the point. Right? He said, Cain hated, Cain murdered because he was evil. Not because Abel was evil, which is what we always say. The other person is evil, the other person is wrong. But he says, Cain did evil things because he was evil. And that should make sense, but it doesn't, right? Not in the real world. We do evil because we are evil. If you were really righteous, then what would you do? You would do righteous things, no matter what. And so now... uh, that's the, that's, that's the contrast between Cain and Christ so now we're going to look at Jesus Christ in 1 John 3.16 this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us right? Now think about it you know, so he's saying look I know you think you know what love is but I say this is what love is, this is love right Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, how he gave up his life for us. This is true love, right? Every other love is counterfeit. Now I think there are like different levels of it, right? Like if I just took a piece of paper and scribbled, and I kind of drew a $100 bill and said, this is a $100 bill, you would say no, right? It would be a very poor fit. It would be a very bad counterfeit that everyone can immediately see through. But then there's other people, like professional counterfeiters and forgers, who actually make counterfeit bills that actually look real, that you can't really tell. It's indistinguishable from the real thing, right? But no matter how good it looks, no matter how real it looks, they're both worth nothing. Because both are counterfeit, both are fake. And now there's some loves in this world that look and feel more real than the others. I think John is trying to make this point. No matter how good, how great our love looks like, it's nothing compared to the love of Christ. Our love is so impure, so flawed, so unsteady, so volatile, and it's always kind of mixed in with other, like, evil, selfish motives. Just look at your closest relationships, right? Look at how we treat our parents, or look at how our parents sometimes treat us. Look at how we treat our spouse or significant other, how we treat our siblings, you know, because we love them, or our best friends, But we still fight with our siblings. We still fight with our best friends because we both wrong them and they wrong us. And so what I'm saying is when you actually get down to it, is our love really any different from Cain's hate? And so the human definition, the human idea of love is so low and so shallow that it might as well be hate. There's really no difference. There's really no gap as you think it is. The world is defined by hate, but God, and what you know, John is trying to argue, and those who are in Christ should be defined by love. Right, so he says, this is how we know what love is. But so, Because in Jesus Christ, there is no selfishness. There is no pride no anger, no greed, no jealousy in his love right? on the cross he truly lays down everything every selfish motive right? every selfish ambition is all for us all about us there's really nothing in it for him he loves us first even though we are evil even though we will rebel even though we will fight and, and be stubborn and, and run away and wander away. He loves us wholly and perfectly and completely. His love makes our love look evil. So he's he's kind of putting these two things side by side. Cain took a life because he was rejected by God. Jesus was rejected by God so that we could have life. He's like, look at these two Extremes, two opposites. Like this is human love. This is the love of God, He's saying the, the the love of God is very different from the love of the world. Um, so, so let's say, right? If I were sitting at like the end of a pier at a beach somewhere on a summer day, enjoying myself. Someone comes along and jumps in the water right, and got drowned. And, and to, to prove his love for me, right, I wouldn't quite understand it. It, would, it wouldn't mean anything to me. Right? I might need love, but the act that he did wouldn't really relate to me, wouldn't really apply to me. It wouldn't really hit me. Right? But if I was in the water, if I was drowning myself, and someone sees me drowning in the water, and he runs into the water and jumps in, right? And then he drowns, trying to he drowns, saving my life, then I'll say, Greater love has no man than this. Right? And then it would impact me. I would understand it. it would I would see how great a love that is. Um, right? even this morning, right? Uh, I was in line for uh, Dunkin' Donuts to get like a coffee, and I was gonna pay for my, my drink. And then the uh, the the clerk said, "Hey, the, the the person in front of you paid for your drink." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> right." And I realized that that's kind of what this is, right? Like, I'm I'm thankful, I'm appreciative that that person did that, but I really wasn't in need. But if I was broke and I couldn't afford it, but I really wanted it and I needed it. And someone did that for me. Right, I would appreciate it. I, it would, you know, hit me way harder. Right? So that's that's one thing about the cross. Jesus didn't just die on the cross to die on the cross, right? To like show off or right, just to do it. He died because he saw that we needed it. Right, we needed him to die for us, and that's what 1 John three seventeen is about, right? You know, if you if you have materials that if you need if you see someone in need, right, and you don't give it to them, that's not being like Jesus. A lot of times we want to help when we can. A lot of times we want to help when it doesn't cost us, right, and when it doesn't inconvenience us. We think that's not what the love of Jesus is like. Right? I find myself doing that a lot too, where you know I'm good. Play with my son Jonah when I'm not tired you know when I'm not busy but then if I'm busy or I got work to do I get starting you know slowly starting to get frustrated and upset like just go to sleep stupid baby just get out of here I got work to do But saying that's 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 the difference between the love of Christ and the love of man or my love You have to, you know, it's self-sacrifice. It should cost you something. And he said, that's the love of God. So he says, right, if anyone has material possession and sees a brother in need but has no pity on him, like does nothing about him, he said, how can the love of God be in him? So he's not really trying to say that you're not Christian or whatever, but he's saying that's what Jesus did. When he saw that we were in need, he took pity on us and he gave his life for us. So if you understood that and you have that But then if you act this way How can the love of God be in you? So we're not saying you're not Christian But I think there's sometimes You can be Christian or saved But not receive And experience the love of God yourself somehow you're kind of very Distant and cold from this love of God And so that's all, you know John's really saying, I don't think he's questioning your salvation right now, but he's saying, if you had the love of God in you, you can't act that way. If you had the love of God in you, you you would have pity on other people, and you would willingly, joyfully serve them and help them. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, he's just saying, we're either Cain or we're either Christ. There is no in-between. The Bible says there is no unrighteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm not saying these things to make you feel bad and say you're just the the same as a murderer, but we think that there's a huge gap between us and Cain. But that gap is negligible when you compare it to the gap between us and Christ. And so we have to remember this, the goal of the gospel, the goal of salvation is that we go from Cain to Christ, right? It's not just you becoming a better person and you becoming a good person. The, the command and the promise of Christianity is that you will become like Christ, you know? And we cannot, like, lower that standard to make it something more comfortable or more doable. It's always become saved so that you can be like Christ there is no other goal there is no other option there is no other right purpose in what we believe so always remember that that's what we're striving for that's what we're shooting for even though it may seem impossible and hard to be like Christ this is the calling um, so let's pray dear Lord um, Father you have said that uh, if we have been loved much, we will love much. If we have been forgiven much, we will forgive much. But if we have been forgiven little, we will love little. Sometimes, Lord, I believe that our lack of love shows that we don't really feel loved and forgiven as we should be, Lord. But we don't really see the vastness and the greatness and the magnitude of your love and grace. And how you truly lay down your life for us. So I pray that as we meditate on your love, you would truly help us to have the love of God in us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.